0: It goes
1: okay so hello hello, recording and we are ready
0: i guess you start us <laughs> up like usual <clears throat> just talking about nothing
1: helps if it's i actually the,
0: it's this. the seinfeld of podcasts <laughs> that'd be bad
1: the seinfeld of podcasts the
0: se- yeah A the, podcast the about nothing podcast
1: about nothing that you know i've Listen to enough podcasts to know that there are a lot of podcasts don't about nothing. They probably advertise that themselves very that often way. think they're about something. And so, mm-hmm. it's better to think you're about nothing and actually be about something. It's the
0: story so. of my life. Welcome.
1: Welcome to the home of professional podcasting.
0: About something.
1: About the realities of life connecting the reality of God with the realities was, of life.
0: So. You got there. So. <laughs> we got there with the with the slogan.
1: Yeah, it's kind of what we do. Eventually, uh, yeah. over, time. over time, after much meandering, I
0: swallowed my
1: gum. <clears throat> well, all right then, <laughs> Stacy. Swallow. This is the one where Stacy swallows her gum. That's friends. So. <laughs> uh,
0: we're mixed. We're the all gums. over '90s stuff I'm
1: okay here. With so that. I have a guitar. I'm Stacey very
0: nervous. Has a
1: guitar. But... It's strange for me that Stacy is nervous because it's not like she doesn't sing and play regularly, which she does. But this is a different format for you.
0: It is. Um, And I will say uh, up front that I believe this sounds better with a full band. So if you're in the area, (laughs) Mm -hmm. come uh, see us on Christmas Eve. We'll be doing this song. Or uh, check us out on Facebook or YouTube. We'll be live streaming it as well. Mm -hmm. We've done it a couple times over the past few weeks, so you can go back and check that out too.
1: It's definitely worth doing. That's one of the reasons. That is the reason that we wanted to make sure we share this on the podcast. I I, I believe, where Stacy may get nervous about it, I believe this is... uh, a tremendous song that communicates exactly what we've been trying to get across during this Advent season with the Killing Christmas theme. Uh, weird title, um, sound principles that we have a lot of things in our lives that we associate with Christmas and even sometimes that we associate with, with the gospel and uh, they don't necessarily belong there and they actually are in the end killing Christmas for us and so we want to kill those false concepts as we're working through it. So. Um, Stacy has reluctantly agreed to, uh, share, this, to share this song. <laughs> I was going to cut her pay. Um, so I she, have to
2: pay him. <laughs> yes.
1: So she's going to share this song with us, and I uh, I trust, uh, I have no question that you will enjoy it. I trust that it will minister to your heart as well.
0: That's right in front of my face. <laughs>
2: gift of all
0: Never again. <laughs> I'm going to go put this away. <laughs> Never you, again until next be time. you so,
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. I really do think that's uh, one of your best, uh, in my humble opinion. Not all that humble, but uh, but in my opinion, I think that's one of the best songs that you've written. And I uh, really, really appreciate it. I really, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that throughout church history uh, we've seen happen is... Uh, new songs introduced to communicate timeless truths. And I think that song does that well to be able to, to connect us with that. And, My gum is like great. Right. <laughs> and you made it through the song. My gum was like With the it. gum in the throat. That's really that's really something. Didn't they tell you about that like in third grade? Man. Don't swallow your gum. Seven so. years. <laughs> so anyway, as we've been working through this, that's what we've been talking about is all these things digestion. that. Digestion. Not digestion, <laughs> although that wouldn't surprise me if we were on the sure. podcast like today the uh, the just the reality that we have a lot of competing things in our lives that uh, very often even the good things so we mm-hmm. we sacrifice uh, you know we sacrifice what God has for us yeah. by choosing all these other temporal things and so as much as I love Christmas and I love the Christmas season uh, and I love the, the even even in in converting from the mentality of Christmas as we know it, um, to celebrating advent and the coming of Christ. Uh, the there's just something that
0: There's a feel.
1: Yeah, there there's this awesome nostalgia, the sentimental aspect. And uh, this week we we looked at the idea that that the love that we should be understanding from Christmas, from the Advent of Christ is coming, uh, is more than just sentimentality. And mm-hmm. so uh, as you were communicating the song, there, there are all these things that we that we truly adore, and maybe we actually adore those things more than the reality of God and, and who He is. And so, as we worked through this um, on this particular Advent Sunday, this fourth Sunday of Advent, we we talked about killing Christmas love and that all of the various loves that we've packed into it. Um, and, and you know, we mentioned. Things like Hallmark movies and 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 so on and so forth. do love. Yeah, and there's you know there's something about this season that brings out the romantic in people and brings out you know feelings and emotions that uh, can keep they can keep the tears close to the surface in the eyes and so um, I don't think it's I don't think I'm capable of getting through a Christmas season. Uh, seeing my children around the tree or together and, and doing all the things, reading the Christmas story mm-hmm. uh, without choking up. and so there's that. But that's very often I mean there's there's real uh, connection with the gospel story in that, but there's also the sentimentality of, well, these are my babies, you know. Forget the fact that they're, you know, twenties and thirties for the most part, and the youngest is fourteen. How do you
0: think I feel? <laughs> I have uh, an actual baby. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wait till your actual baby is holding their own baby, then then it starts to change things and dramatically. And, and so all of those sentimental affections affect me, and they they, they come into my mind and my heart. But ultimately what we're really talking about is a love that's beyond. It's right. it's it's a beyonder love. It's great, it's huge, it's vast, and it's sacrificial. And so when we're talking about Christmas love, we need to move past the you know, the the carpenters, you know, singing their, you know, warm, beautiful Christmas great songs. When, when I hear uh, well, the Carpenters' Christmas album is a primary example of this. When I hear Karen Carpenter's voice, something changes. There's a warmth that that comes out of that, and that's great. <laughs> but the real love of Christmas is God sending Jesus Christ to give us life through His death. And so we focused in our memory verse. <clears throat> excuse me, our memory verse for this week was First John. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I didn't swallow my gum, but it, you know, kind of <laughs> you choking. You have no okay. excuse. Uh, 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That, that's a nutshell uh, sermon on Christmas right there mm-hmm. in, in that particular verse. Uh, w- one of the others that we looked at for memory verse but um, wanted to use one that, that was a little less known perhaps. Uh, is John 3 16. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that is the center of Christmas. God so loved all of us wretched sinners in the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the entire Christmas story is right here in that. So when we look at what happens in uh, the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Lark, uh, Mark, Lark.
0: Luke, Lark, Luke, Lark, Luke Lark and Merck. <laughs>
1: You got through the entire song without a flub, and I can't get through a sentence. What is going on? So um, when we see the nativity story at that point, that's just one piece of this vast unfolding of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of history to the culmination of history. When all of this is laid out, Christ is at the center of it. And, And the love of God is... Is working from the beginning. So we, you know, when we look at Old Testament readings, not just in prophecies, but in the in the Psalms, where we see this description of God's faithfulness, and even when David is despairing, uh, facing enemies, and oh Lord, how long, how, you know, how long will you wait? And then the prophets say the same kind of thing: Lord, how long will you endure wickedness? <clears throat> and they always come back to this idea that God's faithfulness endures forever. He he doesn't change. His loving kindness toward us is huge. And I was joking with uh, Dennis, our, our friend and sound guy. I probably put more word study into this sermon than most and used almost none of it <laughs> as we're actually getting through it. But the, the different words used for love in, in the mm. Hebrew portion of the Old Testament, in the Greek, I don't have any Aramaic resources of significance, but, but in, the, in the Greek New Testament, in the, in the Hebrew Old Testament... The the words used for love are very specific. They're not like our English word, where we just you know have this blanket term for all right. sorts of different right. affections and feelings. And and there are two primary words used in the Hebrew, and the and the word that we most often see associated with God in, in the Hebrew Old Testament. That is <clears throat> the word that we most often see associated with God is very similar to the Greek term that. that I think we mostly will recognize the word agape, this love of God that we see in uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. And this idea of a faithful God who sacrifices, who seeks the good of his people out of his own character, out of his own benevolence, that is a volitional uh, kind of love, we often will just kind of miss that because it gets lost in the wash of our English ideas of, of love. And so when we see... The love of Christmas, it's demonstrated in the fact that, like Romans 5.8 would say, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean it up. He did the same thing in sending Jesus to redeem us that he had always done with his people from the garden through the establishment of Israel, through all of the covenants that, that he established with his people along the way. From dealing with, you know, even with Noah in Genesis and Abraham later in his call, and 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 the things that he uh, gives to the children of Israel as he delivers them from bondage in Egypt, what we see over and over again is it's God's hand reaching. God's David Meese did a song back in the '80s, early '80s uh, that was God's love was reaching. It was Him doing this reaching to us, not that. That we love God. In fact, 1 John four ten says that this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His only Son to be an atoning sacrifice for us, to be the substitutionary payment for our sin. That kind of love is sometimes it can come off like a cold doctrinal statement, mm-hmm. you know, that you know God did this and substitutionary atonement. But that only happens when we really don't get what we're talking about. This is God throwing himself on the grenade for us, more than that, knowingly sending his son, which in itself is a theological concept that's difficult for us to grasp. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery that we'll grasp when we're in heaven with him. And until then we can't fully get it because our minds are too small, like explaining, you know, quantum mechanics to your to your son George. Or me. It's just not gonna happen. So as we as we look at this idea of this sacrificial love really what we're seeing is is, is you know 2 Corinthians 5:21 that the one who had no sin became sin for us even though our sin is crime against him mm-hmm. so while we are the criminals not the victims and very often we'll turn that theologically like oh poor us the devil has oppressed us no 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 the devil's doing what he's doing because he hates God and therefore he hates us and he's going to seek to destroy us but ultimately, we walked into this. We did this. God gave us a perfect situation. We listened to the voice of an interloper, and that separated we us. it up. Right. That sin separated us from God forever, and we can't fix it with our own good deeds or our religion. And so we've been severed. Our connection with the very source of love has been severed. But God reaches in to fix that connection through Jesus Christ. He can't just say okay, you know, everything's good, never mind, you know, that's that's not justice. That God is not unjust. And so just like a, a judge who lets criminals off the hook is not a just judge and we would all recognize that. God is like that as well. But so that he could remain just, true to his character and also explain display the mercy that is part of his character, we see in in God both the justice and also that he is the justifier mm-hmm. by sending jesus to get us. and so all through all through israel's history god drills down on this with them over and over again. it's not you, it's me. it's not you, mm-hmm. it's me. Mm-hmm. i didn't choose you because you were great. i didn't choose you because you were many. i didn't choose you because you were wealthy. i didn't choose you because you were faithful or you loved me. you didn't. but i came to you. you had zero to offer. and i made you mine. now that you are mine, You are precious. You're precious to me because I have decided you're precious to me. And he displays that in the prophets. uh, One of the passages we didn't look up, but I I really would have wanted to if we had three or four hours to spend on the sermon, uh, is in the book of Hosea. And Hosea is an Old Testament prophet who is displaying in his life, as God so often did with these prophets, he would call them to live out uh, basically object lessons of what he was teaching them. So he calls Hosea as he is expressing God's judgment and God's redemptive love to Israel, he calls Hosea to marry, uh, let's call her a, a woman of ill repute. So she is uh, at, at, you know, some would...
0: Don't put the explicit rating on this
1: <laughs> Many would refer to her as a prostitute. She is, at the, at the very least, an unfaithful wife. And God says, she tells him in advance, she's unfaithful, she's going to be unfaithful, and you're going to love her. And, and, and so Hosea... Marries her, she does exactly as God said, runs around, ends up basically being, being trafficked. You know, she, she gets herself into this bondage, and uh, God describes to, to Hosea, here's how I love Israel, and this is how you're going to love your wife. So he goes in and buys her out of this. He redeems her while she's sitting publicly in the streets. I mean, people are, you know, she's got the reputation around town that is overwhelmingly unfaithful. And and this is the the PG version of it we're, we're going with. And so he then takes his money and buys her out of slavery while she is still committing adultery against him. And God uses this picture... He says, you're mine, you're coming home with me, you will be faithful to me, you will be loved by me. And God uses this picture to, to explain, this is how I treat Israel. You've been unfaithful, you keep being unfaithful, but you are mine. And I have redeemed you, and I will redeem you. And even through your exile, even through, the, through this Babylonian captivity that, that Israel goes through, my love doesn't change. Your faithfulness is all over the place because you're not faithful, mm-hmm. but I am. My love endures forever. My love redeems. My love reaches in, and all that points forward and culminates in Christ, where God not only does that for Israel, but for the Gentile nations as well, which had always been prophesied as well that he would he would bless the nations through Abraham's seed. So Christ, being the the seed of Abraham, the seed of eve the the serpent crusher promised in genesis 3 uh the one the blessed one of abraham's covenant in genesis 12 and 15 we see all of this come to a head with god reaching in saying it's not that you love me it's not that you chose me and we make an idol of our own free will Mm -hmm. so often your sinful hostility toward me notwithstanding i'm sending my son my precious only begotten son, to die in your place, so that you can be mine as well. and anyone who believes in him who receives that gift in John 112 we see receives also the right to become children of God. That's the love that Christmas is about that's the that's the power that it's not the. It's not the cookies, although I love cookies. It's not the you know the family gatherings or the music or the Christmas lights. All of those things are nice, but that's like you know that's surface stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's fun. It's enjoyable, and it all ends. It all goes away. But the love of God doesn't end. It, it's vast. It's beyond, mm-hmm. and it's not rooted in our lovability, but in His loving character. And, and we actually looked at, um, at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1. <laughs> Interestingly, this was the same verse that my daughter read to us last night as we were doing our Advent calendar. So we're going through and she reads the scripture and we share some candy together and, and, and it's a nice little time. And <laughs> uh, this was last night she, she read the same passage. So from, from um, Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see the angel coming to describe uh, to Joseph what's actually going on here. and uh, This is Matthew 1, verses 18 to 20. I'm going to go to 25. Uh, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. This is the New International Version. Uh, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously Joseph doesn't know this is the Holy Spirit. He just knows right. my fiance's pregnant. Right. I was not a part of this process. <laughs> There's a problem Sounds here, up. right? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, okay, he's a holy person who who Actively wants to seek God's will. He wants to be obedient to God. He can't start his marriage on this foundation of unfaithfulness because it's not just unfaithfulness against him; it's unfaithfulness unfaithfulness against God. So the the moral code that matters, which is a little bit hard for us to process, I think in in our world because moral codes don't seem to matter in our society. We've kind of thrown all that away. Do what you want. You know, there's you can't impose this, and so. People make mistakes, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So get rid of her, don't get rid of her, either way. You can't really judge her for her for her stuff. We don't process it the same way as Joseph would have. So when Joseph is going through this, <clears throat> not only is he having a personal betrayal, but she's betrayed the Lord of all creation in his mind as he sees this. But because he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace— he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, the picture that that we should be getting from this is not just, you know, what we might see in our society that, let's just, you know, keep this chill. It's that she absolutely deserves, according to the law, to be disgraced publicly Mm -hmm. In, in the way people would look at this at the time. She should be Maybe shunned is a is a term that doesn't quite fit, but you, that gives us more of the idea right. than what we would see today. That that because she has violated covenant with God and with her betrothed, um, she is a a criminal, if you will, a, a, of a significant order, and so. Um, And ultimately, I mean, in Old Testament law, this could result in in actual death and execution for it because it's a violation not only of the the marriage vows, but a violation of the marriage vows is a violation of covenant with God, which can affect the entire society, the entire nation. So in in looking at that, Joseph still, despite everything going on in his emotions— And I think we can probably enter into his emotions more than we can enter into his understanding of law and morality. He has to feel overwhelmingly betrayed, and yet he still chooses to put what's best for Mary ahead of his own feelings. That's the kind of picture, actually, that we see in the love of God. In the Old Testament, uh, when we when we look at the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew verb has said, or, or noun has said, when we talk about the, the loving kindness, the faithful, enduring love of God, or we're talking about the agape in the New Testament that we see most explicitly defined in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. One of the things that, that struck me that I, in all the times that I've dealt with uh, these verbs before, I never realized until this last week's preparation that uh, the Greeks largely didn't develop this. It was kind of a colorless, flavorless word to borrow from one commentator. Uh, developed this idea of of agape love until the New Testament defines mm. it. So it was used in a number of different ways, but primarily it was it was it had this idea in there, but it was without nuance. It was mm-hmm. not. Uh, not really well developed and not commonly used, so it would be used for any number of different kinds of loves as kind of a general term. But the New Testament develops it into a new level, much more like the Hebrew has said that that this is a a faithful, volitional love. We often will say unconditional, and and that's true in in a strict sense in that it's not conditioned by your behavior or your appeal or any of those things. Uh, It's a choice. I think the problem with calling it unconditional love is really our thinking, our our um, the way we are conditioned to think is that when we say unconditional, it means that there's no expectation, and so do whatever you want to do. Like a dog. Yeah, you know, and, <laughs> dog and, will love you and no so what. you know, just let people do whatever they want. Right. If if you love me, you'll support all my decisions. Right. I think we get right. that kind of idea when we say. The, the connotation of, of unconditional love, and that's not at all what this is. This is, I think, the better term is volitional love. This is a love that loves by choice, mm-hmm. as a, as an act of the will, as an expression of character, rather than my affections. You make me feel good. Every all these other loves that we see, and and the, I think the Greek verbs are very uh, very useful in, in how they go about it. You've got different kinds of the, the brotherly love that right. you know we're we're kin, we're we're uh, you know, in a fraternity or sorority together, we, you know, we share a love for Notre Dame or the Bears or whatever else. So there's a, there's a connectedness, that sort of a, a collegial kinship. We've got the, the storge love, which is a familial love uh, from a parent to a child that, you know, you love your son, George, but you love him because he's your son, right? It's not that you don't love other kids, (laughs) but it's not the same, Eh. right? So this is, you know, there's a, you belong to me. Right. Both of these have that you belong to me kind of an idea. The the eros love, which is the romantic, erotic type love, and obviously that by its nature has a certain. Uh, I'm hesitant to use the word selfish, but it's it's more of a self focused thing. I, I love you because of how you make me feel. I'm attracted right. to what you, you. all can those do kinds for of me. things, right. right? And so all of these human loves tend to have that element that mm-hmm. that there's something in the motive that isn't. Necessarily, we don't think of it as bad, right. but it's tainted by our sinfulness. So where it it has a legitimate basis, uh, for example, your storge love toward your toward your child, that has a legitimate basis, but it's still tainted by the fact that our sinfulness means. You're mine, Mm -hmm. therefore my reputation, my feelings are all riding on you, and and we can get trapped in that. And it can go sour very easily for parents and often does. But agape love is not like that. Agape love says, I've got all this stuff here, and I'm going to put aside what I want. I'm going to put aside my needs. I'm going to put aside my desires, my affections, and love you because this is the thing. This is the right, it's an expression of my character and act of my will. So God loves us not because we are lovely, but because he is loving. That's the picture that we see. And what we see from, from Joseph doing that with Mary is that same thing. You know, she is, she's pregnant and he's not the father. And instead of doing what his emotions, what his flesh, his sinful nature would naturally draw him to do, the
0: reaction on that. When you find that out, I mean, like you said earlier, it, it's very easy, I think, for most of us to to think about what that initial feeling yeah. would be, and trying to go against that would be very difficult, because right? Because that's Absolutely. an overwhelming, like punched in the gut kind of feeling, right?
1: Yeah, everything's deflated now. Right. You've you've just sucked all my hopes and dreams out. Right. And I've got nothing left. Right. And and so, this. Again, we can identify with the emotions, right. even when we can't identify quite with the thought process right. uh, accurately. And, and you know, Just a little side note, there's a movie came out, uh, I think it was just called The Nativity or The Nativity Story a few yeah, years yeah, back. Yeah, Very that good. Does we a talked really, about it last week. Did we? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: I said it was a uh, realistic birth scene.
1: Yeah, it, well, and it's also, I think, a pretty good uh, reaction scene <laughs> in that it shows the torment, the anguish in Joseph when he discovers this he doesn't know what to do his whole world's upside down right. and so emotions are swirling rational thought is is not present when we go through these types of things and yet he chooses to love her anyway i have to i have to divorce her that that's the right thing to do for the purity of the nation for the good of the family for the fact that i i can't trust her if i can't trust her how can we start our life out this way and yet I still choose to love her, to put her best interest ahead of my own. And so he, he seeks then to divorce her quietly, which was, you know, we use that term divorce. that They took betrothal very seriously. So they weren't married yet, but they were committed in that. Uh, it's not kind of like we approach things today. We're used to, uh, if I can use the term, impermanent relationships that we we. we Get together and break up and get together and break up so regularly that it's not even surprising. It's not even abnormal for folks at all. So verse 20, after he considered this an angel, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't don't miss that because this connects Jesus back to David's covenant in 2 Samuel 7 where God uh, God has given him this, uh, this covenant that his offspring would always rule over God's people. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which is Joshua or Hebrew Yeshua, uh, meaning God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So that's going to be his name. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, and this actually addresses the question that many will say, well, if it's supposed to be, Emmanuel, you know, and all that, then why do they call him Jesus? God knows that. That was present in this moment. Same reason my name is Richard Wesley, but my parents called me Rich, or mm-hmm. my mom would call me Richie. But, you know, those are, these are not contradictions right. in the story. Right. All this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so, He doesn't have to explain. Matthew's writing uh, to Greek-speaking, primarily Jewish audience. So it's funny that he doesn't have to explain Jesus, common, but he does have to explain or chooses to explain Emmanuel, which means God with us, coming from Isaiah's prophecy um, in chapter 7 of of his book. So in looking at this picture, God is doing what God has always planned to do. That prophecy that, that Isaiah wrote, Uh, was 700 plus maybe 750 years before Jesus was born so God was already doing this he was already working this out and when Joseph woke up in verse 24 he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him he took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus and so uh, that Actually addresses the the false teaching that uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin that that uh, she never uh, engaged in in reproductive activity.
0: She had other children,
1: right? Some would deny that as well, mm-hmm. uh, but the the reality is she did. Right. This is a clear indication already. It's not that they never ha- had the connubial bliss, if you will, but they uh,
0: <laughs> i wish I wish I was gone <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I will probably regret saying that later on. She swallows her gum and spits water
0: <laughs> I wish I was gone <laughs> but but the
1: reality of it is we're so mature she. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the reality is, is a very clear expression, that she was a normal person, a normal right. wife, not... And they some, were a
0: normal, quote-unquote, couple. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah. They're not of a different nature from the rest of us. They're just But people. they were faithful, right. and, and that faithfulness is huge. And it's a picture, again, of the love of God for us. So what we see in Joseph is a desire, a commitment to, to follow God, to love him above everything. And that expresses itself by him loving her... Well, and with the same nature, the same volitional nature uh, that God loves us, and so as we celebrate Christmas, as we go through these things, that's really the focus that we need to see: is that that our love, our human love, was perverted by sin, and we can't really get away from that. That's why we end up with such disheartening things and especially the holidays we see loneliness and depression Mm -hmm. increase when we have a desire for it that also increases so the more we want this and the more we see it and all in the hallmark movies and the cards and the love and all that it it weighs heavy on those who don't have that or who are seeking to be completed by those things and find themselves unsatisfied Mm -hmm. that's a heavy heavy weight and yet when we get past that, then, then we recognize that God has perfected love in Christ. He has offered us a love that is so far beyond, that is, a, that is an ultimate fulfillment of all things. And In the same letter as our memory verse in First John, uh, a little later in that chapter, he says that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So the fear of punishment for our sin fell on Christ. And that love is perfected there. It drives out any reason for fear. So the reason that we still have fears toward God is because we haven't really come to grips with that love. Even saved people can go through that same thing where where we have experienced salvation, we have received Christ, and yet we're so used to human forms of perverted love, right. betrayal and, and impermanence, that it's really difficult for us for us to really grasp this perfected reality of the love of God. And I think
0: that's because we're still focused on ourselves and yeah. not God. you know yeah. Most of the time, I think people who struggle with that, like you said, maybe have been burned by other people or they've been in bad romantic relationships, bad familial relationships, whatever, (coughs) and they learn not to trust the love of people who are supposed to love them. Exactly. And so they think, well, I'm unlovable. Nobody can love me. What's wrong with me? Right. And we're all unlovable in some ways. Uh, But it's difficult, I think, to to accept the fact that somebody could fully love you when, when
1: And we can end up jaded from all of those things.
0: And that can close you off.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just to wrap this up, I have a a pastor friend. um, His daughter is in the band with us who was uh, talking to me after church uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, he came from a a pretty abusive home and uh, did not have, in his words, I never had a father figure in my life. And it made it very difficult for him to accept and comprehend and receive the love of God in Christ. By God's grace, he did. He was separated from his family. He and his brother, who, who just passed uh, this this week, um, separately experienced that. Hadn't seen each other since they were 16, and now uh, I think he's in his 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know he's older than my mom. That's all I know. But as they're... Um, as they reconciled, they both, by God's grace, found the love of Christ. More specifically, that love found them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they had such a difficult time, and they it, it wasn't until they were able to get together years and years later and reconcile the, the past with, with who they were, that they were able to finally kind of feel more free of that and to be able to better comprehend God's love. We, in our humanness, in our imperfect, perverted loves, distort the image of the source of love. And it's really, when we get that wrong, particularly when we get family, marriage and family and sexuality, when we get those things wrong, We distort the image of who God is. We distort the picture of what his love is like, and we make it that much more difficult for us to be able to receive it. Praise God, he's bigger than that. His spirit comes in, offers us new life, quickens our hearts, enables us to see the grace that he's offering so that we can receive it and have life in him.
0: And we will stop there because we're way over. But we did a song too, so that Yeah. Um,
1: That's not even the longest we've been. It's true.
0: Uh, so, yeah, that's that's going to wrap up our Advent series this year. Uh, but be sure to check out our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. That's Thursday, right? I believe so, Thursday.
1: Mm-hmm. Are we podcasting next week or are we going to take next week off?
0: We didn't talk about that. We should
1: have talked about that beforehand.
0: <laughs> Guess you'll find out. <laughs> uh- <laughs> So we might be here next week, we might not. Uh, but regardless, uh, be sure to check out our Christmas Eve service on Thursday at 6 p.m. Uh, if you're in the area, uh, visit us in Three Oaks at Real Life Here. And if you're not, you can catch us online. Or if you you know, don't want to come out, that's understandable. Uh, we'll be streaming on Facebook and YouTube. If you do want to come, we'll have you know social distancing measures in place. We're right, and we're setting up, up overflow
1: in the fellowship hall so that we're able to right. have a little more space to work with. Right, because
0: it's always better when we can worship together. Yeah, safely. Uh, so yeah, do you have any other closing thoughts?
1: A lot, but I don't think that's going to really take us anywhere different.
0: Okay. Well, then I will wish everybody a Merry Christmas, and we will maybe see you next week, or we might be taking the week off before we (laughs) get into We are the home of professional podcasting. That probably is not going to change in 2021. So Merry Christmas, and we'll catch you guys later.
1: Ciao.